You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. When I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be opened to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance among the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power for those who believe. Amen. This week, as I studied our passage from Corinthians, I kept thinking about the beginning of my younger brother James's college experience. James went to Southeastern University, which is the Pentecostal school in Lakeland, Florida. Now, James and I did not grow up Pentecostal, but he discerned that this was going to be a good fit for him, a good school, a place where his faith would be nourished. And so he went there. But he quickly realized what a very different environment he was in when he was at a Dollar General store with his roommate for one of his first few days there. And he was talking with a cash register attendant. And the, the woman was talking to the boys about how glad she was that they were at Southeastern. And she started to talk to God about them. And my brother said the more she talked, her syllables drifted towards ones that were not English. His first thought was that she was practicing, practicing some sort of witchcraft over him. But gradually, her speech drifted back towards English, and she placed her hand on his forehead and said, Fresh fire, Lord. Fresh fire. Well, today in 1 Corinthians 12, I believe we are encountering fresh fire. Paul has just finished speaking about the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, and is now starting a three-chapter unit on spiritual gifts. I think this is a topic that might make some of us uneasy. I know it certainly makes me uneasy. I do not like the idea of someone coming up to me in a Dollar General and breathing fresh fire on me. But as Christians, it is important for us to think about and indeed even worship the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is that actor in Scripture that we perhaps do not pay attention to very often. He is not always on the surface of the text. He often lurks behind the scenes. He's not always noticeable. Yet Scripture, along with our creeds, are both specific that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person in the Trinity, and what is more, he has an ever-present role in our salvation. Genesis tells us that he was there at creation, hovering over the waters. We find the prophets in the Old Testament constantly speaking by the Spirit to call the people of Israel back into covenant with God. The Holy Spirit was present at the Jordan when the Father announced that Jesus was his Son. And before he left his disciples, as John's Gospel tells us, Jesus promised that this Holy Spirit, who had been an actor in salvation history all along, would actually come to the disciples and dwell within them. And as Acts recounts to us, this indeed happened. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and miraculously filled the apostles with fire and strength that they had previously not known. Consider what a miracle that Pentecost day was. A band of illiterate fishermen from the middle of nowhere began to speak languages that they had never heard before and proclaiming the gospel to people who had not heard them. The miracle of Pentecost in no way relied upon the eloquence or the learning or the sophistication the disciples might have naturally had. Instead, they became miraculously equipped to spread the gospel. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. He is still with us, and he is still with his church, causing miracles. But if we take this reality of the Holy Spirit seriously, if we really do believe he is with us, empowering us, where are the miracles? I walked into the Cathedral Church of the Advent this morning, and no one greeted me in tongues. I have yet to hear anyone prophesy today, and this whole week no one has discerned spirits in front of me. Does all this mean that the Holy Spirit is not here? 
Are we lacking something here at the Advent? Paul says no. We do have him, and the Spirit's power is with us, and he indeed is working among us. Look at verse 3 with me. Paul says there, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one says Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I think this verse is very important to understanding the third person of the Trinity. For what does the Spirit do? He leads us to confess that Jesus is Lord. This means that if you are sitting here in this church today, if your heart proclaims that Jesus is Lord, if your life is handed over to Jesus as your Savior, if you have been drawn here today to worship with other Christians, the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit is already within you. He is already working in your life because as Paul tells us, it is only by the Holy Spirit that we are drawn to Jesus in the first place. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are not talking about an elusive being that some Christians magically have and some do not. He resides in every heart that truly believes in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on, however, to talk about the effects of the Spirit. It has been the experience of the church from that very first day when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles, that the Spirit gives spiritual gifts to God's people. These are not natural gifts that Paul is speaking about here. Many of us do bring into the church skill sets or experiences or resources that we had before we were believers, but Paul is not talking about those here. He is talking about miracles that followers of Jesus Christ have found themselves inexplicably doing. And he gives us a list. Paul does not mean for this to be an exhaustive list, but it is a helpful guide to the ways that the Spirit can work in the church. For instance, the Spirit can give an utterance of wisdom or an utterance of knowledge. Paul is not talking about earthly wisdom or knowledge, but a special type of wisdom or knowledge that God gives to believers to address certain situations. Is there perhaps a person, a wise person in this church who has maybe given you a piece of advice about your life that you at first did not understand, but later look back on to see that that person was spot on? This is spiritual wisdom. Or Paul talks about in verse 9, the gift of healing. Perhaps this is a gift that you have come into personal contact with. I know that I have seen people from the body of Christ pray with someone who is deathly ill, and the Spirit causes a miraculous healing. These are all different types of spiritual gifts that Paul lays out for us as examples of the Spirit's work among us. But of course, the gift on this list that receives the most attention in the modern church is actually the last one listed, the gift of tongues. Paul, quite intentionally in this chapter, puts tongues at the end of his list. As will become evident when we reach chapter 14 in a few weeks, the Corinthian community was having a problem with the spiritual gift. Notice here, though, that Paul is not attacking the gift in and of itself. He acknowledges that the ability to praise God in a language that the speaker does not naturally use is, in fact, a spiritual gift. But the gift of tongues comes at the end of this list in verse 10 because Paul is intentionally drawing attention of the, of the Corinthian church to the, the diverse ways the Spirit moves among them. There were those in the Corinthian community who had the gift of tongues, and they were using this gift selfishly. They were showing off. Of course, the question about what Paul really means by tongues continues to divide the commentators. For instance, John Calvin, the great reformer, thinks that by tongues, Paul is actually simply referring to a gift to speak another human language, as if I were to all of a sudden start speaking Chinese. 
But I personally believe that Paul is talking here about the ability to speak in a heavenly language, one not known to men. And this is why he also lists the interpretation of tongues as a gift. To understand a person speaking in a heavenly language is in itself a spiritual gift. The body of the church must understand what is being said. The Spirit continues to pour out this gift on the church. And indeed, there are whole denominations that regularly open themselves up to speak in tongues in their Sunday gatherings. This, in other words, is not an irrelevant, a useless, or some sort of antiquated gift. But Paul would have us see that this gift is only one on quite a long list. And what is more, the Corinthians have formed incorrect ideas about this gift. Look with me at verse 7. Verse 7 tells us, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the key verse for unlocking this passage, along with everything else that Paul has to tell us about spiritual gifts. The Spirit works in the church to build the body up. The gifts that he gives individuals work for the common good, not just the good of one person. So when we consider a gift like tongues, we must keep this principle in mind. Speaking in tongues is not a performance. It is not about one's own ego. Rather, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit gives this gift for the rest of the church. Paul's list of spiritual gifts here in chapter 12 should lead all of us to consider the Spirit's work in our own lives. Again, I do not believe this list in chapter 12 is a complete catalog of spiritual gifts. The Spirit gives all sorts of gifts and empowers the church in different ages by various different types of gifts. But when we, in our denomination or tradition, consider the Spirit's work within us, I think we often take a shortcut and we really begin to talk about a skill set that we naturally have. Paul does not list here, though, natural abilities, even though they might be good and serve the common good as well. Instead, spiritual gifts are ones that can be explained by no other explanation than the presence of the power of God. This past summer, I completed a unit of clinical pastoral education, CPE. This is a very helpful program that many seminarians are actually required to undergo in which a student serves at a hospital for a summer as a chaplain. My site was a big downtown hospital, Jacksonville Baptist, which had many, many beds, multiple buildings, and a children's trauma center. I was scared out of my mind to begin work that summer. Like a lot of people in our 21st century world, the hospital was not a good place in my mind. It was a place where one went to die. I knew that I alone did not have the ability to do anything in that hospital. As a naturally introverted person, the prospect of meeting with people over the day in various crises made me want to shrivel up. But as I began work on that first day of the unit, my mentor in the hospital, a man who will always be dear in my memory, walked me to the ICU floor. And before he let me go, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Remember, William, the Spirit goes before you. What you are doing here in this hospital is not your own action, but the work of the Holy Spirit. These simple words had a profound impact on my entire summer. I found myself with a confidence and an assurance that I did not previously have within myself. Over the summer, I sat with people as they died. I comforted families who had suddenly lost a child. I had conversations with people with severe mental illnesses or people who had been very badly abused. These were all situations that I felt totally unprepared for. But because of my mentor's words to me, my heart was open to the Holy Spirit and the knowledge that he was actually working within me as a believer. I found myself equipped to do the things that God needed for his church in that place and in that time. 
In reading through this passage this past week, I was also reminded of another recent experience I had this summer. Just last week, I went to the monthly prayer meeting that Advent holds at Cramner House. I highly recommend this meeting to all of you. If you in any way doubt the Spirit's presence in this church community, I encourage you to come to next month's meeting. There are people in this congregation who have the spiritual gift of prayer. And while God hears all of his children who call to him, the men and women at this prayer meeting had a special spiritual gift. It was clear to me that these were seasoned prayer warriors. For years, these people have lifted up their hearts to God, and in turn, he has molded their ability to talk to him. I don't know if, if this is the case with you, but often when I sit down to pray, I find my, my mind wandering or spitting out meaningless phrases or requests that are actually pretty selfish or petty. Not so with these men and women, gifted with the ability to pray to the Father. Their hearts know God. They've experienced his will. They've opened up themselves to the Spirit, and they in turn have the ability to pray in God in a manner and with a confidence that most people do not have. As a result, I felt the Spirit pulsing through that room at Cramner House as so many concerns from across this parish were lifted up to the Lord. At this simple prayer meeting, I experienced God equipping his saints with a spiritual gift, and I saw them using this gift for the common good of this parish. The men and women in that room in Cramner House were not showing off. They were not hoarding this gift of the Spirit, and they were not using this gift selfishly. They were using the gift of prayer as a means to glorify God, fully knowing that this gift came from God in the first place. As we walk through this section of text about spiritual gifts over the next few weeks, I implore you to keep verse 11 in mind. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Spiritual gifts come from God, and this is Paul's main point in this passage. And this, of course, stands in complete contrast with what our surrounding culture tells us, in which we place much emphasis on a person's own skill set. Can your social skills get you into the most prestigious clubs or organizations? Do you have the mental stamina to take a difficult test to get into law school or medical school? Does your body have the ability to run a marathon? But it doesn't work like this in the church, as Paul reveals to us. When we claim that our spiritual gifts in any way depend upon us or our own natural ability, we have lost the chief benefit of these gifts. Spiritual gifts originate from God so that in turn they might glorify him in his name. They come from God as a way of directing our hearts back towards him. So where is the spirit moving in your life? Are you clamping up your heart from receiving his power? Do you doubt his ability to work through you and to change you with spiritual gifts? If we do give over our, our inhibitions and doubts and our constant need for control, the Spirit can and he will work through us, and he will glorify God's name to the fullest. For as Paul tells us, we alone cannot offer praise to God. We alone cannot glorify his name. Any praise we offer is actually the work of the Spirit, leading our hearts to adore him who made us, redeemed us, and sustains us. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.